It's the TEH Podcast, episode 87. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So a quick note about last week's podcast. We had a slight hiccup in the process and it got delayed. So it literally, uh, we record these uh, typically on Tuesday and ideally they get published like, you know, the next day or the day thereafter, depending on life. Well, life got a little bit more complicated and it got published this morning. So um, we'll basically do it, hopefully be doing a one-two. You'll get the episode that just published and then another one in a day or two. Uh, it's all good, but that's what happened in case you, uh, in case you as a subscriber noticed. So Gary, before we start on the regular stuff, I have an ask Gary. Okay. I'm currently working on an article uh, with an issue that somebody brought to my attention and it's actually a topic that I wrote about 12 years ago and I'm actually really surprised that life hasn't gotten better and, and I just, I can't for the life of me believe that it hasn't. I figure I must be missing something. Here's the bottom line. Um, if you've got a web page mm-hmm. and on that web page is a form, is there a way to tell whether hitting submit on that form takes you to an HTTP or an HTTPS URL? And when I say you, I mean, I know that you and I and, and, you know, technically astute people can fire up the inspector and just take a look at the URL and see what's going on. No, I'm talking about normal people, um, you know, like, like my wife or, or, you know, somebody like that who, you know, we, we don't want them to, uh, to click on an HTTP form if they're submitting uh, sensitive data. And I just, I'm surprised. I'm not seeing it. Well, I, I believe all modern browsers have it built in that if you are at a secure site and you go to submit a form that goes to an insecure page, you get a warning. One would think, one would think, but um, I just confirmed, I mean, literally as we speak, that in Chrome, it does not. It happily took me to the, uh, on on my secure page, I actually have a demo on um, uh, an article, askleo.com. How can an HTTPS website still be not secure? It's um, a quick URL for people. is askleo.com slash 3461. I've got a couple of forms on that page. And the first one is an, just an example of going to an HTTPS, as you might expect. The second one is an HTTP form. Um, even though the page itself is HTTPS, Clicking through to an HTTP form submission did not pop a warning. Not in Chrome, not in the Chrome version of Edge on a PC, not in, I'm trying to think of what else. There's one browser that seems to have gotten it, and that's Firefox. Firefox threw a warning when I did that. Mm. Um, But the others I have tested have not. And it just seems so stinking obvious that I can't believe what I'm seeing. Hmm. I, I, I... I don't know, I haven't tried it recently, but I seem to remember while developing sites and being kind of in that middle mode where I, you know, I'm the only one at the site, I'm testing things out, that I do get that error uh, if I haven't set things up right, you know. And uh, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's a, a much more complex set of rules to when that message is thrown up there. But it seems you'd want those rules to be so simple. 
So yeah. I'm actually going to try, while we're talking here, I'm actually going to try it in Safari since um, I had not had the opportunity to do that. And I was going to assume you would tell me that, oh yeah, Safari throws a warning on that right away. I think it should. You think um, it should. I agree that it should. I agree that all the browsers should. Yeah. Um, indeed, Safari does say the form will be sent in oh. a way that is not secure. So that's good. Oh, okay. So um, Safari and Firefox. Safari and Firefox seem to be doing the right thing. And Chrome, at least, seems to not be doing the right thing. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I, and, you know, uh, thinking of your original question, though, you know, finding out before you actually hit the submit button, not after you hit the submit button, right. uh, would be quite a trick because, you know, there would have to be some mechanism on the page to, I don't know, to, to show you that. And that could be so easily faked because all you're seeing is pixels on a page. It's how all those fake ads, right. you know, that get through. It's pixels. You can do whatever you want, put right. whatever pixels you want on a web page and make it look like something else. As a start, I would have been happy had the browser... Uh, treated it like a hover over a link, right? If you hover yeah. over a submit button, it would like pop the URL that it's about to take you to. But that could be um, tricky with uh, with page coding. That the can, browser would know yeah. what that button is supposed to do. Right, exactly. I mean, but I'm th just thinking, even if the simple version would give you, you know, a simple form uh, would do that for you, that'd be great. I mean, you can hide so much in the coding of the page that, that mm -hmm. I suspect that um, a click time warning like uh, or like uh, Firefox and Safari seem to be throwing might be the, the most pragmatic solution if everybody did it. I was wondering if perhaps there might be an extension for Chrome that I haven't run into that might solve the problem as well. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's an article that um, it's currently live on Askleo. It's askleo.com slash 3461. I'd love it if one of our listeners could just, you know, prove me wrong, uh, tell me that there's an extension that fixes that in Chrome, um, and I would be happy to, uh, to update the article. It's going to get, like I said, the article's live, but it's going to get republished uh, in one of my newsletters in a couple of weeks. It'd be nice to have a little bit more information on that by the time that comes around. So... Stories, more interesting stuff that, that we, uh, we come across this week. What's, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, start, Gary? I, I've yeah things for a bit. Well, uh, this has been a story. It's, it's uh, been around for the last month and uh, continues to develop. And um, it's about chargers and the European Union. So the European Union has just uh, passed some legislation uh, that basically says that all the chargers for all the phones need to be the same, which is a really simple way of saying what they're trying to do here. Uh, basically, people uh, worldwide aren't happy that phone chargers aren't compatible. You know, it, So you end up, if you say you're charging a camera and you've got a phone and maybe another gadget or a tablet or something, and you're going to uh, travel somewhere, whether it's to work in the morning or on a trip, you might end up having to take three or four chargers with you. Um, and you think, oh, it'd be nice if there was just one charger that, you know, uh, could charge all these devices. And the EU in particular has not been happy about this for years. So they are basically, uh, well, they, they basically rolled out some legislation to say, okay, enough's enough. Um, we are going to force tech companies to have similar chargers. And, you know, this is particularly important to Apple users because it's kind of Apple that's different here. Apple has, for iPhones, the lightning connector, 
on all iPhones, which is proprietary to Apple. And most other manufacturers, well, they've gone through a series of, of standard USB. So uh, USB variations. Yeah, yeah, micro, mini, and now USB-C is the new standard moving forward that uh, you can expect, although not all devices have USB-C now. Um, but, you know, it's definitely the, the competitor to Lightning. And the idea being that, okay, it doesn't matter what device you buy, uh, the European Union wants them all to be USB-C. And uh, that way they can cut down on e-waste right. uh, so people don't have to throw away their old chargers because their new phone uses a new one. And also people can carry less with them. They feel less uh, problems. It's a consumer issue for the EU to deal with, uh, which Apple isn't happy about this because interpreted one way, it could mean that Apple has to sell iPhones with USB-C connectors at the bottom of the device rather than lightning cables. Right. But it's all due to interpretation. So going through this, um, you know, what the EU is saying is, uh, uh, first of all, it's a couple of weird things. Like they say the problem is uh, incompatible chargers between devices, uh, uh, different um, charging speeds right. is a problem, which... I don't know if that's really a problem anymore. I mean, chargers have different, I wouldn't say speeds, but a different amount of uh, different voltage. Well, you know, amps, watts, volts are all related. So different uh, power output, we could say. Um, but in general, most modern devices will take what they get. So I could charge my iPhone with one of the tiny older iPhone chargers and it will charge slowly, or I could use the new one that comes with it, which is like 18 uh, watts, and charge it fast. Um, but I could use any one I want. Going back to the original iPhone charger, uh, I'm not talking about the cable, but the actual thing that goes into the wall. Uh, and also, I get tons of other devices uh, that I use for testing and different things, and they all come with their little chargers. And they're pretty much, you know, I find interchangeable in all sorts of ways, especially when a battery's involved. Every once in a while, I've tried to do something, I plug a light into a USB port, and it's not generating enough power to run that light. But if it's a battery, uh, it seems to work, just it'll work at the speed. So I don't know what the EU was talking about in terms of that. Maybe they're just trying to find things to add to their list of complaints. Um, <laughs> I have to admit the EU does seem from our perspective, to have a tendency to overreach, to put yeah. it politely. Yeah. But <clears throat> I don't know. This is something that I might be with them on. Well, so there's a lot of aspects here. So you know, one of the things that they also talk, talk about is you know, getting rid of the e-waste and um, having a charger standard and perhaps uh, not including a charger with the devices because none of this say, really matters right. if you're always going to get a charger with every device you buy. It exactly. doesn't matter if they're interoperable. They, you're still getting, you know, if you buy 15 devices over the next 10 years for various different things, you're going to get 15 chargers. The only way it would actually reduce waste is if none of those devices came with chargers and you had to buy them separately, right. which I think is a good idea, except in general, consumers may not agree because you spend uh, $800 on a new iPhone and it doesn't come with the charger. And then, you know, who do you blame? 
uh, if that's the case. Yeah, but what they don't realize is that they would have been paying 850 for it well, with the charger, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's perception. It's all about perception. It is. So, I, you know, my, my, they don't, this is, uh, I wasn't going to mention this till later, but I think there are several ways they, to handle that, that Apple and other companies could do regardless of this rule. And one way is to, uh, to simply give people discount say, hey, that $800 phone is now $775. Right. Um, but the problem is new phones come out all the time. And the chances are that the $800 phone this year is not going, there's not going to be an $800 phone next year. It's going to be $850, right? Because it's like, it has better cameras, whatever. So then they go and say, well, instead of $850, it's $825. But all consumers know is last year was $800. This year it's $825 and you don't get a charger. No, there, there's an easier way to spin that actually. Yeah. Um, you have it available in two packages with and without a charger. So you've always yeah. got that comparison. And oh, by the way, the one without a charger, I'm sorry, the one with a charger, eh, that's on back order. I, uh, yeah, really. <laughs> I have an even better idea. I think what they should do is uh, they should package all the phones without chargers, which not only will save the chargers, but packaging, because a lot of the bulk of the packaging, not that they're yes. big packages, is to fit that charger. So they, they all come with no chargers. Chargers are sold separately, but here's the deal. When you buy a new device, let's say it's an iPhone, you get a coupon or a voucher. The voucher is good for either a charger or $25 in the store. So your choice is that, oh yeah, no, I hear the voucher. I'm going to use the voucher and get the charger. I need it. Or no, I'll keep the voucher. And maybe I'll buy a case. Maybe I'll buy something completely different in the future. I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll put it on eBay and sell my voucher for twenty bucks or something. Um, and I think that's the one that would actually significantly like cut e-waste yeah. because you would end up with lots of people saying, "Oh, I get this voucher if I don't go for the charger. Great, I'll use my old charger, or maybe right. I'm going to get the wireless charging anyway." And now, you know, I think that would cut the number of people. Um, getting those chargers. And yep. anyway, that's my idea. That's not something mentioned in the, the rule here. Um, the EU claims, they're, when they're doing the research on this, that there are 30 different types of chargers on the market. That's also something I dispute because I have lots of chargers from all sorts of bizarre devices, things for the camera, as I said, like lights that use a USB adapter, all this stuff. And pretty much they're all interchangeable in some way. Like um, I don't have any device, let alone 30 different ones where I can go and say, Oh, I can't use this USB charger with I'll, I'll something have to else. Go, go through my bucket of chargers downstairs because after yeah, but doing, for, for, doing this for, for many years, you know, remember this has got to be like phones and small, yes, yes. you know, uh, computer gadgets. Yep. Not no, I, I get it. So I think that things are perhaps a little bit more complicated than most people realize. Um, let's see. And, and the EU may be trying to solve more than just the generic same charger problem. Yeah. Um, so let's just assume we're all working off the same connectors for a moment. Okay. Um, USB-C mm -hmm. provides, I think, at least two different voltages. Um, it'll do five volts, which is the standard USB voltage. Mm. And I think it'll do nine and maybe something else as well. Mm. Um, here's, 
as I understand it, and I will absolutely admit I'm not totally up to speed on this, but as I understand it, there's actually a small communications protocol that happens when a device connects to a USB, uh, at least USB-C and possibly USB-3, that says, this is how much voltage I want. Mm. Um, or I can take, right? So uh, all of a sudden, USB-C then fans out to potentially at least two, maybe three different voltages um, and at potentially at different capacities. Uh, that, I think, is one of the things that allows some devices to charge more quickly when they are connected to the right kind of charger. Of course, both sides have to be, quote-unquote, smart. They both have to speak the protocol and understand the protocol. Um, and, of course, again, the default is 5 volts at half an amp, right, which is the, the original USB, USB spec for power. Right. Um, each connector can do five volts at one half of an amp. Anything above that is against spec. And in fact, uh, it's one of the original reasons that we used to have uh, external USB devices that came with two plugs. Remember those? Yeah. I had, I had, external, I had an external uh, CD player that uh, it had a USB connector that pigtailed out to a second USB connector. And that was simply for the purpose of getting one amp of power instead of the half amp that each connector was allowed to provide. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so there's at least some confusion about or some complexity around um, the, the, uh, the capacity of a USB connection to provide power. And I think, like I said, that there is some kind of a little bit of a handshake that might be going on that says, this is what I want. This is what I got. Um, you know, let's, let's meet in the middle and get you as much as we can. I think also they're actually talking about way more than just chargers. They're literally talking about the connector. Right. Well, that's my next thing is there are two things here. There's the charger, the actual device that's converting AC to DC and, you know, uh, and doing other communications like that, the, the actual device. And then there's a cable. And really the only difference between Apple stuff and say like a Samsung you know, a charger, is that the cable's different because both are using, well, they used to both be using USB-B there, and right. now both are using USB-C there. Everybody, you know, Apple's moved to that. My iPhone, current iPhone charger is USB-C on the charger itself. And then the cable goes USB-C to lightning, whereas okay. the cable, to say, a Samsung phone would go USB-C to USB-C. Right. And... Uh, so, you know, when the EU talks a lot about chargers and standardizing chargers and chargers and chargers, but Apple already uses a standardized charger. It's just that Apple's providing a cable that's different than everybody else's. Now, this isn't the first time the EU has tried to do this. They tried to do this 10 years ago, and they, instead of passing a law, they kind of brought the companies together and had an agreement. And part of that agreement was that they would have standard chargers, which is probably why we have that now. But then also that it was all going to be micro USB, right? right. Which nobody uses now or, you know, very few. Well, and micro or? I yeah, think no, it's micro. Yeah. And yeah, then so the, um, the majority of my devices have micro. Right. So, and up until 2016, micro was supposedly supposed to be the standard. And then, of course, after 2016, the company started to say, oh, we got something better. It's USB-C. So the agreement was kind of modified a bit to say, okay, USB-C is coming up next. Um, and that's why you see USB-C chargers now taking over. 
Apple uh, basically asked for a modification of that and said, okay, uh, we'll provide an, an adapter. So you're going to get your cable, that's a lightning cable, but we'll provide a micro adapter for that. So if you want to use this charger for another device that's using micro USB, then you can. And people in the EU then got these adapters with their iPhones, whereas here in the United States, we didn't get those. So the EU wasn't too happy about that, and I could see why. You know, they're trying to reduce e-waste, and here now they've just added an adapter to the cable and the uh, charger that came in the iPhone boxes. Right. Um, so, you know, the question is now, it's what will Apple do? Apple has already moved the iPad Pro from the lightning connector to USB-C. But they didn't do that because they wanted to make the EU happy. They did that for the very simple reason that the iPad uh, is to support, uh, can support external screens. Oh, okay. Lightning doesn't do. So you, all the iPad, the new iPad Pros, the ones you get now, you can hook that up to an external screen with the right cable through the USB-C port uh, that's there and, and, and use an external display. And it's used for various video things and all that. So that is kind of what um uh so app but you know the thing is that those machines those ipads don't have the lightning port you do everything USB-C. so apple clearly can do this they claim that they can't because the iphones are too thin to support USB-C, which is ever so slightly thicker than a lightning cable i mean i looked at the two of them and i it almost looks like a USB-C cable can can fit into the lightning cable port on an iPhone. Almost, you know, it's very close. I'm like, okay, maybe maybe there is something there. Like maybe the actual port itself needs a little bit more space for USB-C to work properly, or maybe it's just that Apple has some thinner iPhone designs coming down the pipe um, that they it will spoil those if they have to use. USB-C for the iPhones. It's interesting because I'm actually, um, I've got something in my hands that I'll talk about in a moment. So I'm actually have an opportunity to take a look at a USB-C connector next to a lightning connector, uh, mm. next to a micro USB actually. Um, and uh, first of all, micro USB, I think might be thinner than USB-C. Right, just less capable. Uh, definitely less capable. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of wires in that USB C. You just don't think of it. Oh yeah, USB C um, is very powerful. Uh, and um, the Lightning connector, of course, you can see how many connect how many uh, uh, contacts there are. You yeah. know that there's a lot of connections there. But you're right; they're very very similar, and they're very very. Gosh, yeah, you could almost cram a uh, a USB C into a Lightning socket. You wouldn't want to do that, of course. But you, I could <laughs> see that. I could see that it's so close in terms of size that, yeah, that seems like a, uh, a somewhat manufactured argument on Apple's part. Yeah. I, so I'm not really sure. I mean, I one, of the, one of the things Apple claims is something I do agree with is that having a standard built into law, having a law saying USB-C is the standard could mean that, you know, five years from now, uh, somebody comes up with a better way, USB-D <laughs> or whatever. Right. And, now it's you can't just you can't just make it. 
You can't just say, here's our new product and it's got a new connector on it that's better because it's whatever. You have to go to the EU and ask them to change their law. Right. No, I agree that legislation is not the solution here. But in the in the face of these all these companies not coming together on a common solution for the problem, it seems like you need a hammer almost that big. Right. Because I really do think I, I really agree with the intent here. I really do think there's no reason to have this plethora of connections, plethora of adapters uh, you know, when there are known solutions that could be one, you know, one connector to one, one charger, one connector, one solution to rule them all. Um, but there's no incentive for Apple to do that unless somebody holds something over their head. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of half agree. I agree with that the chargers themselves um, should be standardized, maybe. I mean, they already are. I mean, really, there's no well, point they, having the law, you know. I, I, I mean, maybe the, older stuff doesn't, but. I was going to say, that, that kind of goes back to the, the complexity of the charger, because remember I was talking about this handshake that has to happen. Yeah. Your simple, dumb chargers, probably the one even that comes with most of your phones, um, may not have that logic in it. So uh, all of these things that you might be thinking of that are compatible, well, they're sort of compatible if you're willing to let your phone charge for 10 hours instead of two, right? Um, right. It's, it's, it's complicated, but I do agree that <clears throat> chargers are more wasteful than cables. And I would very much support saying, okay, just make the chargers the same, make them all have a single standard uh, for what they're right. connecting to and, um, you know, solve the, the interconnectivity problem with cables. But um, in the long run, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, um, I think it would be awesome if if I didn't need what I'm holding in my hand. So when you, you mentioned this to me before, I uh, immediately uh, recalled that about three weeks ago, I stumbled across a device. And what it is, um, it it's basically, it, it looks like, I don't know, something you'd hang from your keychain that has six connectors hanging out of it. Uh, hmm. One of them is a USB, uh, you know, the this, the full-sized USB that would go into your computer uh, or your charger. Um, mm -hmm. And the other five are uh, two micro USB connectors, one USB-C, one um, mini USB connector, and uh, one lightning connector. So what it boils down to is that I can plug this into my power supply or my computer and then I just choose the connector that's appropriate for my device and plug it in. It's compatible in the sense that at least the slowest charging is going to work. Um, it, it does not, the, the cable doesn't have a data connection. So it's A, it means it's a good USB condom if you're ever worried about uh, plugging into unknown chargers because that's a security risk kind of. Uh, but it's also not going to understand the protocol and therefore not be able to adjust to the higher rate. Um, but yeah, I actually uh, I actually carry one of these in my pocket. We'll have a link to it, of course, in the show notes. Uh, it's just it because I have different devices with different connectors. Uh, even that mini USB connector that I need for I think it's uh, it's either my pocket voice recorder or it's something else. Um, so yeah, it's it's a problem that's not going any away anywhere anytime soon. But I I like I said I'm I'm leaning towards. 
what the EU is intending and thinking that it may take something as, as heavy as an EU hammer to make it happen. Now, what's interesting is you may think that a solution to all this is wireless charging because uh, you know most of the, at least the top model phones, I think all the iPhones right now support wireless charging. I'm not sure about the lower end one, but all the, you know, the, uh, for a couple of years now, wireless charging, a lot of the Samsung Galaxies and all that wireless charging at all can do that. So you don't need a cable at all. Um, but the EU doesn't consider that as an alternative because, and I didn't really know this, or maybe I knew it, but I just didn't want to think about it, is <laughs> the efficiency of wireless charging. Uh, wireless chargers, they claim, are 60% efficient. So if, you know the power you're pulling right. from the outlet through there, 60% of it's going to your phone. The other 40% is lost to heat and other exchange. I'm surprised things. it's as high as 60%, to be honest. I thought it was much lower. Yeah. So I guess they're looking at, you know, when you look at home, I, I use a wireless charger. I, I love using a wireless charger because way too many times I've grabbed my phone off my nightstand in the morning. I could have sworn I disconnected the cable, but I didn't because it's first thing in the morning. I haven't even had coffee yet. You know how that is. <laughs> and you walk, you start walking away. And of course the cable's still connected and that causes all sorts of chaos. Um, having wire, a wireless charger is great because you, it's never connected to anything. You just pick it up and go. Um, but I can imagine that when the EU thinks of the millions of people with their phones charging by their bedside, and if they were all on wireless chargers, how 40% of that energy is wasted, and that's probably a power plant's worth. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. No, uh, I, I, so I kind of get that. And, and I have to admit, after reading this, I am now at least thinking about using my iPhone's regular charger and maybe maybe the option, since the, the charger in the current iPhone with the, the current models is so fast, and I rarely run my iPhone down very much, since I don't do things like Snapchat and stuff that really kill the battery for a lot of people, um, I could just for, still have the convenience of not having it hooked up to a cable on my nightstand, just don't have it plugged in. And then when I'm sitting at my desk, where very often I take my phone out anyway just right. to look at something on the phone, and then I put it down on the desk. If I just remember to plug it in for like two hours, like mid-morning to lunchtime, yeah. that's probably all I need You're every done. day. Yep. So anyway, that, uh, so that's the, other the solution, end of that. The other solution you might look into is I keep running into these ads, and I don't know if they're targeted or how they're getting to me, um, for essentially a magnetic quick release. Uh, yes. adapters. So you, you, know, you plug something into your phone and you plug this little thingy on the end of the cable. And it's kind of like the, the mag magnetic power uh, connectors we have on the device on the, the larger machines, except it's then adapted for the, uh, for the small form. Factor. I have one for my MacBook pro. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, actually I have several cause I bought several, did a video on uh, comparing them. Cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that would solve the don't have enough coffee to unplug the phone problem. <laughs> Except I still have that. I'd have that little extra bit there hanging off of the uh, of the phone all day. Right. You know, hopefully well, that's fine. It's, it's a it. it's a tiny little bit. I mean, it's not like I don't think they're intended that you take those out. They're, the, what they intend no. is that you get more than one of these, yeah. <laughs> right? And that that become your new standard adapter for plugging your phone in. But. Yes. So more e waste once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do, I do think I did find it surprising researching this, how, when I started looking into this, I was very much against it. 
and thinking, you know, oh, Apple, we got to have the lightning connector and all that. And now I'm kind of like, you know, I think it'll be okay. I think, I think Apple probably should move to USB-C mm-hmm. for all their devices and, and just be done with all of this. Yep, um, I agree. So, anyway. So last, oh gosh, it might have been three weeks ago. Uh, I mentioned that I was in the process of getting a new machine. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the, that machine's here, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a moment. But that machine's here. And what that did is that caused me to take the old machine, a Dell laptop, and another older machine, actually, another Dell laptop. And I was looking at them and I was using them and, and you know, yeah, I basically repurposed them because they weren't my main machines anymore. Uh, the new machine's taking on that role. It's like, you know, you know what? It's been a long time since I've done that. I should just reinstall Windows. It's something that uh, I've, I occasionally will recommend to people as, as a way to solve problems. Uh, sometimes the best way to to solve a misbehaving Windows with all the different things that may have been done to it over the years um, is to just re- start start over from scratch, reformat and reinstall is the the operative phrase. So, what I realized I've done that now to both of these laptops, and it went way way quicker than I was expecting. And I was thinking about that, and there's a couple of reasons for that. The biggest one being that I didn't need to run out and grab myself or dig in my basement for the install CDs anymore. Um, in the case of one, I just used its built-in refresh this PC, which basically reinstalls the operating system from a copy of the operating system that was squirreled away on a hidden partition, mm. which is basically the result of the fact that our hard disks are so big these days that squirreling away or hiding a, even a DVD's worth of uh, disk space is just insignificant compared to compared to the size of the, uh, of the hard disk. And the other was one where I just downloaded Windows from Microsoft because you can do that now. You can download uh, the uh, the operating system for free. You still need a key to activate it or, or a pre-existing installation to be uh, to be a legal install. But uh, the combination of of the changes to the way they license these things with digital license on an installed machine and uh, the ability to download it just made it super super easy to do. And then it dawned on me that you're way ahead of me on this. And we're still playing catch-up. Microsoft is still playing catch-up. But within the next, I think it's the next version of Windows 10 or the one after that, uh, they will actually allow you to do this refresh PC thing that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. not from a hidden partition, but by just downloading it from the internet. In other words, combining the two scenarios that I just described, where you download and create your installation media, or you just use the hidden installation media, well, now Refresh PC will kind of sort of do both. And I thought that that was very interesting. And then I realized that if I'm not mistaken, Macs have been able to do that for a while. Right, yeah. There's the whole you know recovery mode. There are several different recovery modes. And one of them, the most extreme, is internet recovery mode, uh, which has been around for maybe 10 years or so. Um, and uh, it's probably more than that by now. Uh, and it actually boot your Mac to a simplified version of the operating system over the internet. So it's like boot a network boot. 
Right. Um, and it takes a while, you know, but you can only do it in extreme circumstance. Right. Uh, and it depends on your speed, but it gets just enough going there that you, then you could, you know, change some things on the machine and then say, okay, install, you know, the operating system. And, and it's kind of, and, and if you're not using that, if you're actually using the recovery partition, which is, you know, saved there, you could boot instantly to that, uh, which is good for maintaining some things in your computer. Uh, and also then you can reinstall the operating system from that recovery partition. You just don't have to wait to boot from the internet. And you can install, I think there are three modes. Uh, I'm trying to remember. One is to install the original version of the operating system that came with your Mac when it was bought new. And then you can install the, was it the late, the, the, the latest, oh, the last version that was running. So say if you're running El Capitan on it, and you decide to reinstall the operating system, you can go and say, reinstall El Capitan. That's what was just running on it. Or you can uh, say the most recent version that will work on this Mac. So for like newer Macs, Catalina. So you have a lot of options uh, through using recovery mode uh, to get your, get your Mac back from almost nothing. It's really nice to see Microsoft continuing to follow Apple's examples. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a lot harder because, you know, they don't have the controls over the hardware, right? They don't, but it's really interesting. So uh, before I go down that road, though, uh, so you can, if you've got a, um, uh, can you install the operating system this way? Does the operating system itself come entirely over the wire? In other words, if you don't have it on a on a, uh, a recovery partition, uh, can you download basically the entire operating system that way? Uh, over the uh, over the internet. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I so mean, it's really really big. So yeah. w- one of the issues that uh, you clearly will have had more experience with than me, because of course we're not we haven't yeah. encountered this yet, is. What do people with slow internet connections oh, do? Yeah, no, this is a problem all the time. Um, there are, you have to find a faster internet connection, let it sit overnight. Uh, people who have not only slow internet connections, but pay for bandwidth, which right. in the United States is unheard of almost. Uh, um, but some places in the world, actually, it's still kind of common. So you've got, you know, things like that. I've heard of people you know, basically uh, either taking it to a repair shop where they have faster internet and can do it, or sometimes even to the Apple store where they have insanely fast <laughs> installation Right, but I'm thinking times. specifically of people who, um, you know, they don't have Apple store as an no. option because it's no, too then far it's, away. No, then it's, it's, um, it's a problem. You can do an installer on a, uh, on a USB drive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for more technically, technically minded people who know how to do things like build USB flash drives that are installers, um, but don't have a fast connection, you can actually do it. So, you know, you could say if you're a student, for instance, right, and you've got really slow internet at home, but your school has fast internet and you know what you're doing, you could go into school uh, on a Mac there, build a uh, installer uh, flash drive uh, using the fast download from uh, your internet school, take that drive home, and then use that to install on your Mac. Does Apple offer um, any kind of uh, physical fulfillment? No, I don't believe they do. There was a time when they did. I don't think there is anything now. Um, So yeah, you you know, I think their solution is basically take it to the Genius Bar. 
right. we'll, uh, we'll install it there real quick. Or, or go visit someone with a faster internet connection. Anyway, it'll, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what, uh, uh, how Microsoft handles that. The, uh, <clears throat> the ability to, uh, to just download the operating system is new. And something that they've introduced, you know, you can enter, you can download and create installation media right now. That's what you mm-hmm. can do, uh, which is sounds like what you just described uh, for like yeah. your, stu- your student scenario. But to actually install on the fly, I like the idea of being able to uh, give me the most current version that works on this machine. Uh, give me the one I had before. Those are all both. Those are both good solutions. The scenario that you mentioned that micro, that Microsoft and Windows have problems with, of course, is the plethora of hardware. We have to. We we can't make nearly the same assumptions about the hardware installed base that that Apple can, and that too. I was surprised. Now, granted, the machines are Dell, which, of course, is one of the major, if not the major manufacturer of, uh, of name brand laptops and mm-hmm. uh, desktop computers right now. But um, everything, so, and of course, what you download off of Microsoft is the, what they call their retail version. It has, uh, uh, it's, it's what, if they still sold boxes in a store, that's what you would get. It's it's generic in the sense that it's not in, tied to any specific uh, computer or OEM, but it has lots and lots and lots of drivers for lots and lots of different hardware. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that's what you get when you download it from Microsoft. And, of course, that installed and, gosh, everything pretty much worked. But then I said, you know, I'll bet if I go to Dell and install their update utility. I wonder if it'll do more than just update. I wonder if it'll actually download uh, the Dell-specific drivers for this machine. And sure enough, that's exactly what it did. Mm. So it was basically a case of me just going, yep, download and install Windows, download and install the Dell updates, and then keep you know, return to installing the applications that I actually use. So I think that at least when you're at, a, at, a, at the level of a major manufacturer, the uh, the the ability to get the software that is specific to your uh, your particular brand of hardware, your particular installed set of hardware, is actually not as bad as we once feared it was either. Uh, I do know that uh, I also, as part of the many things that, of course, I've installed since, uh, the uh, one of the things that I install are my uh, radio programming tools for ham radio. Hmm. and they require a special cable that's got a special driver and this, that, and the other thing. In the past, that was a huge, huge hassle. Windows 8 had big, big problems with that. Um, In Windows 10, it just worked. In other words, I just plugged in the cable. It makes the bonk noise where it says, okay, I need to go get some drivers for this. It goes and gets the drivers from Windows, from Microsoft Online, installs them, and all of a sudden the cable is just working, which is also a huge improvement. So I think in that sense, a lot of things have gotten better. Uh, Certainly there's going to be fringe software on the edge or fringe hardware on the edge where it's not as incorporated into the ecosystem as some of these other things are, but uh, things are a lot smoother than they once were. And I was fairly impressed and I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing where the install from the internet scenario ends up working, how, how well that ends up working. Hmm. Cool. So reformat and reinstall isn't nearly as painful as it used to be. Well, yeah, I had no idea it was that painful, but 
Oh yeah, it's, it's always it's always been a pain. It was a commitment. It really was. I'm pretty sure the the only copy of Windows that I own, uh, which would be in a uh, Parallels you know virtual machine on my Mac, right? Um, I it um, it was downloaded from Microsoft online. Sure. What version was it? Windows 10 or? It's a Windows 10. Yeah. 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 That's Windows 10 is all. I mean, I it would be difficult. No, I'm not going to say that because my new yeah. machine actually came with installation DVDs, which which kind of surprised me. Uh, but uh, it's certainly not as easy as it once was uh, to get Windows 10. They really did commit to uh, to doing it online. Not as all not as far as Apple, right? With you know yeah. Apple, clearly you could only download the OS, but uh, Microsoft's definitely moving in that direction. Like I said, we're following Apple's lead. Yeah. So off topic, but cool. What you got? Uh, well, actually, so this week I've been fighting with uh, you know, microphones again. I always seem to be fighting with microphones. Um, the problem I've got is when I do my regular show, it's two video angles, right? There's the intro, and also I do other parts of the video this way, where I'm you see me sitting at my desk, you see the screens behind me. Uh, it's shot with my nice camera because it's full full frame. You know, right. and then I have another one where it's basically a a really high end webcam that's on top of my computer, and you're seeing my screen, but you see me in the corner. The problem with these two setups is that there is no good way to use the same microphone with both cameras. So for about oh six months, the last six months, I've had a really good microphone, uh, the that ATR twenty twenty. Uh, microphone. You're soaking uh, in it. I'm using it right now. Yeah. And it's, it, it's USB. It's its own device. So it's separate. And I can speak into that. And with the webcam, no problem. With the camera, because it's a, you know, it's a, it's a uh, Sony uh, A6100 and it's going through an Elgato cam link uh, through USB and there's a timing issue. So using that same microphone, I have to actually move it from one stand to another because the different angle. And then I'm off by about 0.2 seconds in the audio from the video. And I was getting sick of it. Not to mention the fact that the microphone still doesn't sound the same because it's on two different stands and it's two different distances from, from my mouth. So it, it, there's an audio difference between when you switch from one to the other. So I decided, all right, I'm going to fix both these problems by getting a good microphone for the Sony camera that actually is on the Sony camera. So instead of just getting the video feed from the Sony camera, I'm getting video and audio tied together in the camera and sent together through right. the cam link to my computer. Sounds great. So I bought a Rode, uh, a well-known Rode microphone. I forget the model number. It's their $60 model. It's their small, you know, fits on the camera shoe on top yep. of the camera microphone. Um, I liked it not just because it was cheaper than the nicer Rode, but because the nicer ones all take batteries. And I have, I hated mm. using microphones with batteries. Yep. I've done it in the past and it, the batteries always seem to run out the wrong moment. And I always forget to turn, to throw the switch and turn it off. And I was just sick of having a drawer full of batteries that I would seem to go through in no time. So having a no, no battery microphone, I thought, great. So I hooked it up and I even put it on a, like a little extension coming off the tripod. So it's actually closer to my mouth and the camera, just 
just sure. below me, pointed sure. up in my mouth. And I have to say the quality is really good. It's not that the quality isn't good. It's that the quality is different. Right. It's a difference between the sound on the one camera and the other. So when I cut from one to the other, one sounds, I don't know. They, they If I go, depending upon which I'm going to, the one I was listening to sound sounds good and the new one doesn't sound as good. So if I'm going from the one camera, it's it's like, that sounds really good and crisp. Like my voice, like I'm right there. And then the other microphone sounds mushy. But then after listening to the mushy one for a while, it's like that one sounds rich and deep. And you can hear <laughs> that. And then going to the other one sounds like I'm in like a room with echoing walls. And it, but so I've come to the conclusion that both microphones are very good and both do a good job. They just have a different quality to them. And it drives me nuts. And I don't know of any good solution to, to solving that. Two different I, cameras, two different microphones. I don't know. I have one possible solution for you. Yeah. At least something to experiment with, although it might be a little pricey experiment. First off, um, that that microsecond or millisecond delay that you were fighting, yeah. um, the software, I know that you also have been known to use OBS. Yeah, I'm, not, I, I'm using, I have to use ScreenFlow. For, okay. But because, I'm doing, I need all the special things that ScreenFlow does, like recording the, the clicks and the cursor location sure, and allowing sure, me to zoom sure. in on areas of the screen um, and stuff. If you're able to record uh, OBS at the same, using OBS at the same time, or I don't know, yeah. um, for at least your, your headshot video, yeah, um, it does have an adjustment, a, microphone, a mic delay adjustment. So you yeah, can actually I, I, tell it that, you know, hey, yeah, my audio is coming in 100 milliseconds after the video or something like that. Right. And I've been, I've been manually doing that. Uh, right. Well, I actually, for months and months, I wasn't. And, it, you know, it's really, it's 0.2 seconds. 0.2 seconds, it's, it's a really strange time because yes. it, you could adjust very quickly while watching yourself yep. and think it's fine. And I think a lot of people watch and didn't notice and but then i started paying more attention and i started noticing it more and so i would adjust i would break the audio out and adjust the audio slightly to get it to match and it wasn't perfect but it wasn't point 0.2 i was probably maybe off by point oh two, right. you know after i did an adjustment um and who knows i may i mean that well, may you, be normal for like because uh, you know there's yeah i don't know that you can get any better than a uh, a frames worth of of exactly well that was the problem i couldn't get any better than a frames worth um and so i just got sick of doing that of right. doing the change and i wanted it just to work so that's why i went ahead and bought this thing but i don't know, it's frustrating working with microphones and and you know as like a software engineer sometimes <laughs> i i'm confused it's like it's it's my voice it's a microphone picking up sound why can't these things just work you know why does it sound different <laughs> so my my proposed solution or at least experiment would be to use a lavalier mic ah no use, no no I, use the same mic for I've both i've done that i've done that well first of all using the same mic for both is impossible the reason, well, kind of impossible. The reason is, if I go through the camera, I need an audio connection. If I'm going through the computer, I need a USB connection. So I would have to basically have, say, a USB mixer or just adapter, you know, for 20 bucks that would go into the computer and then have an audio-only mic and then switch it between cameras, which would be a pain to do. And then, of course, I have done lavaliers. I think there's probably a good solid two years of doing my show 
I did it with uh, Lav on my uh, shirt and got sick of that too because, well, number one, the good ones use batteries. Uh, right. Number two, <laughs> I'm num- of that. Number two, you're tied with this wire and it's, and ah. not a, it's visible on camera. Ah. It's yes. visible, it's tied in, and you can never place it the same place exactly twice. So, you so know. I'll, I'll just I'll just throw this out there as to how I would solve your problem, or at least the experiment okay. that I would run. One is um, I also have a road, but the road I have is their wireless Go, and um, I'll throw a link in the show notes. Um, if I get my Mac keystrokes right, the uh, uh, it is a lavalier mm-hmm. mic, but it's wireless, as the name implies. The neat thing about it is, even though it's battery technically, um, it's actually USB rechargeable. So you just mm-hmm. plug it into the USB charger. That of course is non-standard. That the EU wants you to get standardized, and I'm sure that these are non-standard connectors. But you get the idea, right? Yeah. Uh, so and they last for a really long time. My experience is that once you get the levels figured out, the quality is amazingly good. I've been very pleased with what I have uh, done with it. Um, it's, got a, it's got a huge range. You can walk you know, 40, 50, 50, 100, 100 feet away from it without losing the connection. It's obviously, it's a digital connection. Um, but it's, it's really good. Now, the problem, and the reason I say it's a bit of a pricey experiment, um, is that they're like a couple hundred bucks for the pair, you know, for the receiver and transmitter. Right. Uh, but that solves your wire problem. Now it's still kind of visible and, and depending on how you wear it, it could even be a little bit more visible, but you could tuck it in a pocket or something like that. The, my concern and the reason I keep calling it an experiment is that, um, you know, looking at your videos, you're actually sitting differently when you are uh, facing the computer sure. than you are when you're facing uh, the camera behind you. Yep. That means your face is turned differently with respect to the microphone, so you still oh, may yeah. up, you may still may end up sounding different. It's still, yeah, uh, no, I, I now, yeah, I think it's to a- to address the um, uh, the number of inputs kind of a thing. You know, having to plug it in here when you do these, how to plug it. No, 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 no. What I do, what I would do is, uh, in fact, what I have done is I have just a digital audio recorder, a Tascam. And I plug the uh, the road into that, and then I record my uh, my video with the camera with its um, built-in microphone because I'm not worried about quality there. I just want something that I can sync to later. Um, I record my on-screen video with whatever microphone is connected to my computer. Again, quality not an issue. I just want something that I can sync to. Um, And then depending on the video editing software you use, you can either have it automatically synchronize everything together, which is something I learned from you years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, as I have done, um, and you you won't see this since this, of course, is an audio podcast, but this sound is actually Clapper. a clapboard. Yeah. Um, it actually looks like an old uh, movie-style clapboard. And I use it uh, in front of every video that I do because I record in exactly this way, not using the... Uh, 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 the, uh, the 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 road. My my normal narration po- uh, podcast is, uh, you know, the camera and Camtasia, the same microphone that I'm using right now. But it's two completely separate, unsynchronized sources, so they get synchronized manually uh, these days by Connie, who gets to watch me hit my clapboard because she sees it on screen as well, and um, that does the trick. It just does. Uh, so 
I don't know. That's that's the direction that I would hit. It may be too much too much work for for um, you know your. I know that you you run a pretty daily, yeah, a pretty well, and and you've got your workflow down uh, really well. Right. Yeah. Having doing the uh, audio recording with the video is kind of critical to my whole workflow because I have segments. So I'd end up with the if I did a task cam, uh, I'd end up with all these different audio segments, all these different video segments, and I'd have to then figure out which one went which with one which, goes where. Yep. and then t- set the timings for each one of them. Um, this way, I don't have any of that right. uh, to worry about. Uh, and I could stop and start as often as I want, which leads, I think, to better quality for the actual tutorial. Right. I don't feel like, well, that's not great, but I'm not going to do it all again. <laughs> right. But yeah. it, with a start and stop, I can be like, oh, hold on, pause everything. And let me, you know, which would throw the timing off completely if I was recording audio, synthesized video, and then I could, you know, uh, work things out and do multiple takes a little easier. Anyway, it's just it's frustration, and sure. um, and probably maybe people don't care, or people don't, uh, or people don't even notice. I mean, I'm going to be the one that notices more than anybody else. Um, I think that that's true. I've I've noticed it on my own videos. There are things that I notice. I notice when I'm recording them. Sometimes I notice when I uh, um, am watching them. It falls into two categories, right? I'm recording a video and I'll misstep. I'll miss say something, but I'll plow through because it wasn't that bad. And then I'll listen to that. It says, oh, it really wasn't that bad. This is not a problem. I don't know why I was worried about it back when I was recording it. And then, of course, you'll be watching a video and you'll see some kind of a misstep or a mistake or just a, a lack of you know, piece that isn't, isn't exactly the way you wanted it. And then nobody will ever notice. They just don't. They care yeah. about the information, not necessarily within reason, not necessarily the quality of the, uh, of the recording. Right. So, well, cool. Cool. Um, so yeah, so I don't know, call that my off topic, but cool. My Rode wireless go microphone. I, uh, I've been having a lot of fun with it. The, the scenario that I did use it for is I did connect it up to my camera and used it to uh, record a speaker. So I've actually got the camera 30 feet away from the speaker, but I've got on lapel voice on lapel audio. And that works really, really well. I had to learn how to set my camera's audio settings because, of course, it's a DSLR. So I spent all my time worrying about my still pictures. But then, um, uh, you know, adjustment here and adjustment there, and it actually sounds really, really good. Uh, Let's see. BSP, blatant self promotion. (laughs) Um, I did, I mentioned earlier that I'd gotten myself a new computer. Uh, I won't tease too much about it other than it's working. It's re- currently downstairs running on all 16 cylinders. Uh, <laughs> I did start a series of about three articles, the first of which uh, published a couple of days ago. It was the featured article in today's newsletter, the results of my year-long laptop experiment. Uh, it basically describes how I ended up with the laptop, how I tried to use the laptop as my primary machine for basically a year uh, and that included things like video editing and and so on, and exactly how it worked because it did work. I was able to do it for a year, and what uh, ended up leading me to decide that maybe it was time to get something more. So that was my article, the results of my year-long laptop experiment. Gary, you, know, you said uh, sixteen cylinders, and it made me think of horsepower. 
And uh, why don't we have like a horsepower type measurement on computers? I mean, the idea is, right, you know, you, you know one horsepower and then an engine is five horsepower or 5,000 horsepower or whatever. But, you know, we should have a measurement for computers. It used like, to be. If, do you, if, do you well, remember? If Kev, Kev, what was it? Go ahead. Oh, if Kevin was here, he'd probably suggest Atari 800s. So you could say, yeah, my new PC is uh, is a 50,000 Atari 800 machine. So what you're saying is the Atari 800 is a horse. It's, it's like, yeah, well, it's, or I don't know, TRS-80s, Apple IIs. Maybe, maybe go back to like something really, I don't know, really original, PDP-1s. Many, many years ago when PCs were significantly simpler than they are now, and I do mean at the the, the CPU architecture level, um, there was a utility from, at the time, Norton Utilities, when it was still owned by Peter Norton, called SI, System Index. Mm -hmm. And it basically attempted to do exactly that. You could run it and it would give you a number. And the only thing that the number measured was the system index, and it allowed you to compare the same number when you ran that same utility across multiple machines. The problem today, of course, is that, uh, especially with things like uh, prefetch, caches, uh, turbo boost, threads, hyper threads, um, and then starting to throw in things like uh, GPUs in addition to your CPUs, uh, the whole concept of what does it mean for uh, a computer to be fast kind of defies measurement down to a single number oh sure and mac laptops in particular come with multiple gpu setups so you've got uh on battery it's using an integrated gpu and when you plug it in it's using a dedicated gpu um and then different energy levels for other things depending on battery or yeah it's very complex Anyway, uh, my blatant self-promotion is just to mention my pages course again uh, because the uh, it launched and there's a sale. I will include a link because um, during the launch period, basically, I let newsletter subscribers get uh, 40% off the course. And that'll end on February 28th or after February 28th uh, this Friday. So, um, But I'll include a link that can be included in our show notes and that way uh, in case somebody isn't getting my newsletter, but they want to check out the course, they can. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. And let's see, I think that about wraps us up for this week. Hey, look at that. Oh, like an hour again, an hour and a minute. Ugh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> for not being an hour, we're doing a bad job of not being an hour. Yeah. All right, gang. Uh, let's see. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh87, or rather, they will be. And hopefully, hopefully, they'll be there before next Tuesday. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. Tell a friend about us, and we will see you here again next week. Bye-bye. Bye.